Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Greetings once again and welcome back to Voice of the Church. In this month of January, we've been studying the return of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what it means that he will come again and how we can be ready for his coming. In the first three weeks, we covered a few different teachings, focusing especially on the call to be wise, knowing our own weakness, and therefore finding oil, finding our supply from Christ on a continual basis. Then last week, we looked at the idea of working, using what we have for God's glory, remembering All of life, the chief aim of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we've spoken so far of how these teachings of Jesus, they build on each other. Each one adds a new element. Each one says a little more of what it means to be ready for Christ. And we come to the final section of his teaching on the end times in Matthew 25 now. The final piece that he adds in this section of what it means to be ready for his coming. And what it means here, what he draws out for here, is not only the idea of being wise, not only the idea of working, but his focus here is on being compassionate, being great lovers of Jesus, to love others. Remarkably, he points us in this final section of Matthew 25 to the importance of love. And what it means to be ready for Christ is to be those who love the Lord, and therefore those who love his people and our neighbors as well. We're going to read through this section. It's very important to note, this is not a parable. Jesus is not telling a story this time. You can hear the different language. He is actually describing what it will be like when he comes again. I won't read through the whole passage, but I'll begin in Matthew 25, 31 to give us the idea of what is happening. Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. That's as much as we'll read for now. We'll get further into the parable as we go on. But we need to stop there. I want to ask you, what is the criteria at the end of time for whether you will go to heaven or whether you will go to hell? What will be the measuring stick? You know, we talk to people today and we ask someone on the street, hey, if you died today, would you go to heaven? Or if you were to go to heaven and God asked you, why should I let you in? What would you answer? And many people assume they'll be going to heaven. If they think of why they might go to heaven, they'll say things like, well, I'm a pretty good person. I've tried to be a good brother, sister, father, mother, son, daughter. I've tried to be a good worker. I've tried to care for others. I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good, and I take care of those around me in general. That's a great thing. But it's not the thing that brings you to heaven. In fact, the thing that Jesus points to first for the criteria of whether we're allowed to enter into the glory that Jesus has prepared for us is whether or not we have loved Jesus. Now, I know this is going to talk a lot about the poor. It's going to talk a lot about the sick. It's going to talk about those in prison. But the first and foremost application of this passage of what Jesus is teaching 
is to realize that we can only enter into glory. We can only find the blessing of God if we are lovers of Jesus. Because he says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. This is Jesus speaking. And it's a rather remarkable thing. Because when Jesus is asking us or showing us our love, when he's pointing out the love of those who go to heaven, he's picturing how they treated him, not in his majesty, but in his suffering. He does not say, I was sitting at the right hand of God the Father in glory and you loved me. I was the risen triumphant king over the grave and you worshipped me. No, he's pointing to his own weakness, a weakness he took on for you and for me. This description of Jesus is actually quite alarming. Jesus pictures himself as hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. If you go through the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you can find where each and every one of these was literally fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Each and every one, except for the one of sickness. I don't remember reading ever about Jesus being sick, but he tells us in this passage that he was. I don't know if that's something you ever thought about. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of glory, laying on his bed with a bowl beside him to catch what might happen if he became ill. Is that sacrilegious to say? Is it sacrilegious to say that Jesus would have been so sick that at times he might have vomited? It would be if Jesus didn't say it here of himself. And it would be if we forgot what was said in Hebrews, that Jesus became in all ways like us except without sin. That means he did really experience human hunger. He did really experience thirst. Forty days and forty nights he fasted in the wilderness from being tempted by the devil. He was shamed in nakedness because they hung him on the cross naked for the world to mock. He was beaten as a prisoner. He was scorned as those rejected, treated as a stranger. John says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Have you ever seen someone in a place where they don't belong? They stand on the outside. They, they may try to come in and talk to a circle of people, but the, the shoulders are closed together, the backs are turned, and they, they have no one to welcome them. Jesus pictures himself like that. The ultimate criteria that he gives in this passage of whether we go to heaven or hell is whether we have loved Christ in his weakness, whether we have clothed him in his nakedness, whether we have helped him in his sickness, whether we have fed him in his hunger. When you saw the Son of God rejected by the world, did you love him? Because he was rejected by the world, and he hungered and thirsted, and he experienced nakedness, so that he might save others who were rejected by the world, who experienced hunger and thirst, who in themselves were naked before a holy God. He became as a broken man that he might save broken men and women. And the question is, when he hung upon the cross, rejected by God and man, did you love him? Did you see him bearing the weight of your sins upon that tree? And did you receive him? That's the ultimate criteria of how we get into heaven. The parable is not done with that. It goes on with this remarkable twist. Because Jesus welcomes the sheep because they fed him, and he rejects the goats because they didn't receive him. 
But in both cases, of the righteous and the unrighteous, of the sheep and the goats, they're both surprised that they ever treated Jesus in this way. And they both ask the same question, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we see you thirsty and not give you a drink? The righteous aren't sure when it took place. To be honest, I've never seen Jesus in person. Have you? I've never fed him in person. I've never welcomed him as a stranger in human flesh. Have you? Of course not. Jesus is right now in heaven at the right hand of God. But Jesus goes on to say these remarkable words in answer to the question of when. He says this in verse 40 of Matthew 25, Assuredly I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now what does this mean? It means a very remarkable thing. It means that Jesus has chosen to identify himself with his church. Inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brethren, my brothers, my sisters, you did it to me. Now this is an amazing thing. I imagine that some of you listening right now would fit the description Jesus gave of himself. You may have times when you go quite hungry. Maybe you don't know where the next meal will come from. You may have had times when you were not covered in the kind of clothing you want to be covered in. Maybe because of your sin. Maybe because of your poverty. And you are ashamed. You may have times when you are ill. And illness is a difficult thing, isn't it? Because it comes with poverty. It comes with brokenness. It's a tough, tough cycle to get out of. Beloved, Jesus identifies himself with people like that. Jesus identifies himself with the broken and the hurting. You ever been a stranger? You ever felt like you had no friends? No one cared about you? Do you know what Jesus does? He does so much that he says, Inasmuch as they treat one of the least of these, my brethren, they've treated me. So some radical encouragement here. To realize that in our weakness, God loves us. And he sent his son to take on flesh, to take on our sorrows and miseries and even more, that he could save us from them, that he could redeem us from them. There's a warning here too for the church, because sometimes our Christianity becomes too clean. What I mean is that we can tend to separate ourselves from the hurting and the broken. Do you know what's identified the Christian church for the last 2,000 years? Care for the weak, care for the poor, care for the sick. Look at the history of missions. They come into an area, they bring the gospel, they build schools, they build churches, they build hospitals. Why? Because they care for the poor. They care for the neglected. They train the uneducated. And this isn't done in a humanistic way. It isn't done because we're just great lovers of the human race and we think we can improve this world enough to make it better for everyone. No, it's done because we love Jesus. That's why we love these people. We don't know which ones belong to God ultimately. We don't know which ones will become his brothers, sisters. All we know is that God calls us to proclaim a gospel of his love to a fallen and broken world and to show that love in the things we do and say. We can't separate ourselves from this. Sometimes we think we want to be great Christians in the eyes of God. We want to do great things for God. If that's you, if you want to do great things for God because you know Jesus did great things for you, I want to give you a challenge today. I want you to go and find the stranger. I want you to go to the nursing home and visit the elderly. I want you to drop in at the hospital and and find someone who doesn't get visits and go to them and go there not just once, but go there again and again to visit and say hello. As it fits your schedule, once a week, whatever it might be. 
Think of this. I've heard stories of people who want to do great things for God, and in God's sovereign plan, He gave them kids with extreme special needs. And as they care for those kids with extreme special needs, they don't have time to be missionaries. They don't have time to lead Bible studies. All they do is have time to take care of these kids and their great difficulties. Do you know how much God values that kind of service? Because inasmuch as you did it to the least of one of these, his brethren, you have done it to him. Every cup of cold water, every snotty nose wiped, every time you've had to clean up when someone's made a mistake in the bathroom, you are serving Christ. And Christ rejoices in your service. We cannot be a church that simply knows what it is to dress up in nice clothes on Sunday. Let us do that. Let us go to church. Let us honor God. Let us come dressed to worship the Lord and delight in the things of God. But let us also know what it is to get dirty and work for the cause of Christ. To come alongside the weak. To come alongside the hurting. And to love them because we love Jesus. And more importantly, because Jesus has loved us. Loving the Lord, we have a challenge today. Twofold. One, realize that we are the naked, the poor, the weak that Christ must care for. And secondly, realize that he has cared for us. And go and do likewise. As we enter a new year, our resolutions are made. Let's make time to do another one. Let's say time to serve in some non-glamorous way the hurting in the world around us, and especially in the church. Let us care for the weak. Let us do so in the name of Christ. As you go on your way this week, may God bless you in service. May your heart's desire be to know him more. And may the Lord continue to grow us as we study his word together from week to week. Have a great week.